Hi, I'm Pastor Brad Inman, and you're listening to the Orange United Methodist Sermon Podcast. We're a church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, that wants to help you find your place in God's story. And we hope this sermon can guide you along that journey. Visit orangemethodist.org to find out more information about location, service times, upcoming events, and ways to give. We hope you enjoy. Thanks be to God indeed. That's better. Amen. All right, let us pray. God of eternity, we stand with the courage of those who insisted, even in challenging times, that not even the most powerful rulers of this earth hold our eternal destiny in their hands. We are secure in Christ whose reign is just, whose power is endless, and whose love is unfathomable. God of eternity, we join the chorus of saints who continue to declare that Christ is our King. Amen. Good morning, Orange. I am Pastor Corey, and if you have just begun to worship with us in the last eight weeks, you may not have any idea who I am, and that is okay. Uh, I have just returned this week from my maternity leave, and Ewan McCandless Bolick uh, was born on September 17th, and he's doing incredibly well. I think Ryan has a picture to put up of him. There he is. He's also up here worshiping with us this morning. Um, And as many of you know, uh, those first few months are pretty sleepless and hectic, uh, but we've been so fortunate uh, and blessed by your support through prayers and meals and gifts and love. And this community, this family, has made these last two months much more bearable, and we have truly, truly missed you. I've looked forward to this week for many, many weeks um, because When you're a pastor and you don't have somewhere to be on Sunday morning, it can be kind of disorienting. Like, what do I do with my hands? Disorienting. Uh, And so this morning, like every Sunday, I'm still not quite sure what to do with my hands. Tiagan says I preach with them a lot. But I do know that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And it feels really, really good to be back. And it feels like home. So whether you're worshiping with us from your own home or this home, we are so glad you are here. And this Sunday, as Pastor Adam and Josh mentioned, is a special Sunday in the life of the church. It is the ending of our liturgical or our Christian year. It is one ending as we anticipate the beginning of our Christian year next Sunday as we begin that journey toward Bethlehem, toward Jesus' birth, toward the Savior of the universe, humbling himself to be with us, to be Emmanuel. The King of Kings becomes a kid. And we do celebrate the ending of our liturgical year, our worship year, and look toward that beginning. And we pause this Sunday And recognize that King of Kings on Christ the King or the Reign of Christ Sunday. And our passage for today comes to us toward the end of John's Gospel as Pastor Adam read, as Jesus becomes or comes face to face with Pontius Pilate. As we enter into this text, I want to talk a little bit about who Pontius Pilate is. Is Give a little context to this passage in John 18. You see, Pontius Pilate was a Roman prefect or governor. 
uh, of the Roman province of Judea. And so Pilate's a Roman official. He's not Jewish or religious. And Rome is the official government over a lot of the world at that time. The Roman Empire, it rules over what once belonged to the Israelites, Judea being one of those places. And as a prefect or governor, Pontius Pilate essentially has the authority of a supreme judge. He gets to decide who lives, who's in prison, who dies at the discretion of the government. And he needs to keep political peace at absolutely any cost, even if that means through violent means. That's why when we talk about the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, it really wasn't a peaceful policy. It often required violence, extreme violence, to be enforced. Now, of course, Pilate has become a prominent figure in church history. He's made it into some of our creeds. We recite those words. He suffered, Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. More importantly, Scripture scripture makes him a prominent figure. He's mentioned in all four of the Gospels. And the reason he comes up on this Sunday... Christ the King, a bit far from Holy Week or Easter, where we expect to hear from him, is because he asked Jesus a question. He asked Jesus in verse 33, as we heard read, are you the king of the Jews? Now, this is really, really interesting because a while back, uh, the pastoral team did a sermon series on the seven I am statements in John's gospel. The seven things Jesus said, I am this. And those statements include, Ryan's going to help me, he's going to put them up. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And at the beginning of John's gospel, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, proclaims, we have found the Messian, the Greek for Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ, the long-awaited Savior who would once again deliver the people of Israel. But nowhere in John's gospel, despite all those I am statements, does Jesus self-identify as a king, or does someone, even the Jewish leaders or his own followers, refer to him as a king? Only Pilate asked this question and makes this accusation initially. And as I was studying uh, this week, one of the scholars, scholars I read said that Pilate has to ask this question, this kind of question, because to be honest, Pilate really doesn't care if Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the Savior. Pilate isn't concerned if Jesus has religious power, religious spiritual power, doesn't involve him. There are lots of religious leaders. What threatens Pilate and gives him a stake in this story is if Jesus claims a title that might threaten Pilate's own, his own political position, or even more so, might threaten someone above him, the emperor, Caesar at the time. And this reasoning is reinforced when the Jewish leadership uses that logic to empower Pilate in chapter 19. When he begins to question whether or not he should execute Jesus, they say to him, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. 
But that development is interesting because we know the Jewish leadership has never really been concerned with Jesus as a threat to the empire. Instead, they have another fear. They fear that Jesus' interpretation of the Jewish law, their scripture, the parables he tells, the people he includes, those he heals, those he feeds, those he spends time with, they fear Jesus' teachings and his actions condemn their own interpretation of the law. They fear Jesus condemns them. And so to silence Jesus from continuing to question their religious authority or way of being in the world, they hand him over to the Roman authorities, claiming for them, Jesus' misdeed is that he's claimed to be the son of God. But in order to appeal to what would induce fear into the, the political officials into Rome, they support Pilate's accusation that Jesus opposes Caesar as one desiring to be a king. And when Pilate asks that famous question, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus tells him, there is a kingdom that he rules, but that kingdom isn't of this world. And so Pilate takes that and twists Jesus' words and says, so you are a king. And the irony here is that Jesus then answers, you say that I am a king. That's not one of Jesus's I am statements, as we mentioned before. This one comes from Pilate. You say that I am a king. Instead, Jesus claims he has come for one purpose, and that is to testify to truth. And everyone on the side of truth listens to him. Now, this statement calls us back to the good shepherd and that the sheep know the good shepherd's voice and they listen to him. They know the truth. But our friend Pilate, he isn't one of those sheep. It's not that he could never become one, but he's not here. And so his worldview remains limited by what he understands worldly power to be. And Pilate's political power isn't threatened by any of those I am statements. But if Jesus is a king, then Pilate's own power is at stake. And that is such a problem. That is such a problem for Rome that the Roman law silences that threat with crucifixion, with the violence of the cross. And despite the back and forth between Pilate and the religious, religious leaders, Jesus is ultimately put to death. He's put to death so that others may assert and maintain their own power. They bury him in the tomb to silence him so that others' voices are louder and ruled. But we know, as we follow that Christian year, as we go through Lent into Holy Week and into Easter, that no matter what, politically or religiously, no matter the power, any attempt to silence Jesus is thwarted. Those in power have actually tried to silence Jesus once before for this very same reason. It's not in John's gospel, but in Matthew's gospel. They attempt to silence Jesus because someone claimed Jesus 
was king of the Jews. It's a long time before this moment with Pilate, and it's a story that we typically explore right after Christmas. It's the Magi. Those Gentiles from afar who traveled so long to see Jesus proclaim that he's the king of the Jews, and their claim sparks fear into King Herod, that a child might one day grow up and challenge him. And so his response is, yet again, a violent one. It's known as the slaughter or the massacre of the innocent. Herod orders the execution of all male babies in the vicinity of Bethlehem, in hopes of silencing this one, this one threat, this king of the Jews, this Jesus. We see that fear, that fear about who Jesus is or who others claim Jesus is because it might threaten someone's power is present in both of these stories. And it begs us to ask the question, in what ways does Jesus scare us? In what ways does who Jesus is scare us so much, threaten our power so deeply that we would rather silence Jesus' voice than truly follow him? What kind of problems does it cause us if Jesus is not only the king of the Jews but of our very lives? What kind of problems does it cause us if we really have to follow his voice and surrender to his teachings? What if those teachings push against or threaten how we currently think or live? Because if Jesus is the king of our lives, the things we value and the things which give us value Pastor Adam reflected on this theme a few Sundays ago. Those things we value and those things which give us value, those things also have to submit to Jesus' power and teachings. So we have to ask ourselves more questions. What rules our lives? What kingdom does our citizenship, our loyalty belong to? Does our work or schedule or busyness rule over our lives, over and above the sound of Jesus's voice? Does our income or our pursuit of money rule our lives, being so much more important than obedience to a humble servant king? Are there certain relationships or people who speak louder and influence us more than Jesus? Does our appearance or others' perception matter so much more than submitting to Jesus' kingship? Might people think differently of us if they knew that our allegiance is to one who comes in a manger? Does controlling our story keep us from opening our hearts to the story that Jesus is writing for our lives? We would sometimes rather be powerful and in control than admit we belong to God's kingdom, that we are ultimately servants. What do we value so much in our lives that we are willing to silence, to sacrifice Jesus for it? What do we value so much in our lives that we are willing to silence or sacrifice Jesus for it? 
The threat against Pilate's political power was enough for Pilate, and the threat against a different interpretation of the Jewish law was enough for the religious leaders. What do we value so much in our lives that we need Jesus to be silent in order to justify it? Maybe it's something material. Maybe it's something relational. Maybe it's something intellectual or even something spiritual. If we need Jesus and Jesus' teachings to be silent while we're doing it, then we need to think about who is ruling our life. Who is the actual king we've submitted to? Because I'll say it again, the religious authorities needed Jesus to be silent and Pilate needed Jesus to be silent. And we may need Jesus to be silent. But the truth is, the truth that Jesus comes to testify to is that regardless of the powers, the powers of Rome, the powers of the religious leaders, or our own power, Jesus doesn't stay silent. Jesus doesn't stay in the tomb. And Jesus' voice doesn't need our permission to speak. Jesus tells us exactly who he is. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the true vine. What matters is whether we choose to listen to the voice, whether we choose to not be threatened by Jesus' power over us, but to believe and know that we are freed by his power, that we're freed by his power and his love. We're freed to live into who we are called to be. We're freed to live as God's beloved rather than all the other powers and trappings of this world. We're freed from those illusions when we submit to the unquestionable kingship that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have established. Church, what would it look like to do, choose Jesus as king above all other things? Well, if we look to examples for the disciples, the price they paid was high. And for many Christians throughout history, the price has been incredibly Hi, so many followers have sacrificed everything because they believe they value Jesus' power above everything else. What would it look like for us to begin to acknowledge that power and that kingship in our lives? Where could we begin or could we continue believing that Jesus' power is above any and all powers in this world? Maybe we could begin here. In worship, the last of our ships of faith. That may be a good place to start an hour on Sunday to sacrifice every other commitment in uh, any other commitment in all the principalities to proclaim for one simple hour, Christ is the King of my life. And that simple hour should flow, overflow, and shape our whole lives to be lived as a continual act of worship. 
We look back over these last several weeks in our ships, discipleship is a place where we can submit to learning and being formed by Jesus' teachings above any other teachings. Small groups, Sunday school, those are wonderful places to begin establishing Christ is King. Fellowship, recognizing the importance of community, community called into being by the very belief that Christ is our King. And we together are Christ's people. Membership, living into the gifts we have been endowed with, knowing that no other power entrusted those to us but Christ himself, and to live those things out in community so that we might build the kingdom Christ has come to usher in. Stewardship, to be reminded that we have absolutely nothing apart from the gifts God has given us. No gift is of our own making, our own power, our own control. All that we have is truly and utterly under the reign of Christ. And we acknowledge that reign by committing our resources of time and money, gifts, service to the building and expanding of Christ's kingdom. The kingdom that challenges the world's understanding of kingship. The kingdom that comes to us in these next weeks as a baby in a manger. The kingdom that tells us every single person is welcome at this table. The kingdom that tells us what the world values doesn't make you valuable. When we believe Christ is king, we believe our value comes from Christ. That we are beloved children created for a purpose to build God's kingdom. Church, we have been called and we have heard the very same question that Pilate asked Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? King of the Jews. Pilate could never have imagined. In my opinion, he asked the wrong question. His was too narrow, too short-sighted. Because Christ is king and reigns over absolutely everything. As we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, and we live in, we begin this new year, May our lives reflect that truth. Let us pray. Oh, Jesus, you are the King of glory. You are the Lord of lords, the King of kings, and we pray that your kingdom will reign forever in our hearts and in this world. Lord, we pray for your kingdom to come here right now, bringing a kingdom of justice righteousness, hope, love, peace, mercy, and grace for all. Lord, we ask that you rule in our hearts. Lead in this world and govern over your kingdom. But Lord, honestly, we often have our own plans and agendas, and we want to be rulers of our world. Forgive us for those times. 
And Lord, we live in a time that would rather idolize culture than worship you. Help us to know how to live as your kingdom people in these times. And Lord, there are a lot of kings in this world who terrorize, overtax, humiliate, exploit, and abuse those they are to lead. Help us to spread the good news of the different kind of king you are. Lord, thank you for being a different kind of king. Thank you for your goodness and your kindness. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for your kingdom that is unlike any kingdom in this world. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Please join us again next week. In the meantime, you can find us online at orangemethodist.org.